Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm very pleased that you decided to join us today because we have a very important topic to discuss, which is what is merit? This is a very helpful topic for you to understand as it relates to your progression to enlightenment. In order to get to enlightenment, you would need to understand what is merit and actually create merit as well. So far in this program, it's about a seven-month program, we're about halfway through it, about three and a half months into the program. We've been discussing what is enlightenment, the three universal truths, the four noble truths, which helps you to understand what the problem is, the unenlightened mind, and the actual cause and how to eliminate it. We've discussed the Eightfold Path, which is the path to enlightenment and how to progress towards enlightenment. We've discussed the middle way and how to bring your life to the middle, not holding on to things real tight, but not being indifferent either and kind of finding that middle way. We talked about the five precepts and helping you to understand what the five precepts are. And then we discussed the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots or the three fires of craving, anger, and ignorance and how these pollutions of mind are inhibiting you from experiencing this enlightened mind where the mind is bright or brilliant. There's this peaceful, calm, serene, consent mind with joy. And then last week we talked about Gamma, or what is gamma and how does it affect you? This cause and effect or this action and result, essentially the results of your decisions. Well, now a lot of these things are actually going to come together as we talk about what is merit. You would need to have a general understanding of these other things in order to really understand what you're doing in terms of developing merit or cultivating merit or producing merit. So I'd like to welcome all of you and I'll help you if you weren't part of those other classes, I'll help you as we go through today's class to help you understand what is merit. So let me just switch over to some slides that are going to help me to share this content with you, both in Zoom and as well on the live stream. So let's just talk about what is merit. Merit is wholesome gamma. Remember, there's wholesome and unwholesome gamma, and there's old gamma and new gamma. What wholesome gamma is, is results of your decisions from wise decisions. When you make wise decisions that are wholesome, it's going to produce wholesome results. It's not this mystical, magical thing. It's not punishment and rewards. It's the wholesome outcomes of your wise decisions. And as you make offerings of gifts to the community of virtuous ordained practitioners or anyone who has attained any of the four stages of enlightenment, you are producing wholesome gamma or 
wholesome results because of the decisions of supporting these teachings to come into the world it's going to help you and all those around you the buddha described when you make offerings and gifts to teachers or ordained practitioners that you should make offerings to virtuous practitioners he always used that word virtuous because if you can imagine during the lifetime of a buddha there would have just been thousands and thousands and thousands of people that were learning and practicing people becoming ordained and not all practitioners are necessarily practicing the teachings in a very deep way. So we're not judging people, looking down on people, whether they're wholesome or unwholesome and determining whether or not to make an offering to them or not, because judging others would be putting yourself above them or below them. But instead, what you're doing is you're using discernment or wise decision making in order to discern what would be a wise choice in terms of making offerings to this community of practitioners. The Buddha referred to this as the Aryan Sangha. And the word Sangha is a Pali word that means community. And then Aryan means noble. So Aryan Sangha means the noble community. Because during the lifetime of the Buddha, there were many different communities of people that were practicing teachings that they were claiming that it was their teachings that led to enlightenment. And we know now that it was indeed the Buddhist teachings that lead to enlightenment because that's why they're still around 2,500 years later and people have gotten to enlightenment during the time of his life and then afterwards people continue to experience enlightenment. So this term Aryan Sangha or the noble community, this is the way the Buddha talked about people who were practicing his teachings very well. He would oftentimes refer to people as a noble disciple. Because remember, the Buddha came out of a royal family. He was a prince destined to become a king. So this nobility or this idea of nobility or being affluent in a community what people believe during that lifetime and there's even this belief around today is that if you're born in kind of a poverty-stricken family or lacking resources and not really having much resources they feel like your life is destined to being kind of maybe a horrible life or maybe not as well off as other people and then if you're born in this affluent family that is more rich and more wealthy people oftentimes believe that you're destined for great, wonderful things. And we know that this isn't true because it's a result of your decisions. You can be born in a very rich, wealthy family and end up having a very difficult, horrible life. And you can be born into a lower class family or what people consider to be a lower class family. And you can ascend from that and you can create a very wonderful life for yourself. So the Buddha coming out of the royal family in this idea of this affluent people or these noble people who are kind of like this upper class people in society, the Buddha was helping people see that what makes you noble isn't whether you're rich and wealthy or whether you're lacking resources. That's not what determines whether you're noble or not. It's not about what family you're born into. It's about the wisdom that you cultivate during your life and how you choose to practice as a moral human being. So he referred to everybody and anybody in his community as a noble community, as a group of noble disciples, people who were dedicated to learning and practicing his teachings. But then, of course, there were people who were ordained that weren't as dedicated. So they weren't necessarily experiencing the four stages of enlightenment. So the Buddha encouraged people to, as they made offerings and as they chose to support 
the various ordained practitioners and teachers to discern, make wise decisions about people who are in one of the four stages of enlightenment and support this community of people. Because by supporting them, it's encouraging the bringing in of teachings into the community from people who are deeply practicing the teachings. And this is why the monks and ordained practitioners expose their shoulder and they only have the robe draped over one shoulder because during the lifetime of the Buddha, the noble people who were in this rich, affluent community, they would expose one shoulder. And that was kind of the way that people in general population would know who was rich and affluent or not, as they would have these rich, affluent people would expose one of their shoulders. And then other people knew like, oh, that's a wealthy person or that's a rich person. That's a noble person. So the Buddha, whether someone was in a lower class family or upper class family, when they joined his community in order to learn and practice these teachings, when they put on their robe, they would always expose the right shoulder to show that they're a noble person. And the Buddha then recasted what it meant to be noble, not based on whether you're rich and affluent or not, but based on the wisdom that you've cultivated and how you're practicing in the world. Are you polite, kind, friendly, and respectful? Are you taking responsibility for your emotions and your feelings? Are you working to cultivate wisdom, being loving and kind and compassionate and having sympathetic joy and equanimity and some of these other qualities. So merit is having the interest and willingness to be generous and making offerings of food, water, clothing, shelter, medical care, using your time, effort, energy, financial support and resources to support the sharing of Gautama Buddha's teachings within this noble community. Because this noble community are the people who are responsible for sharing the teachings of the Buddha. People who are not yet in one of the four stages of enlightenment would find it very difficult to be able to share these teachings. The Buddha discussed this in his teachings. He shared that someone who still has craving, anger, and ignorance would find it to be quite difficult to share these teachings because they yet haven't figured out how to get to enlightenment yet. So how would somebody be able to share these teachings and guide others to enlightenment if they haven't figured out how to get to enlightenment themselves? It's kind of like if you've never driven a car before, would you be able to teach other people how to drive a car? The answer is no. So the same thing is the Buddha shares that if you haven't yet attained enlightenment, it would be very difficult for that person to be able to actually share the teachings in a way that would guide other people to enlightenment because that person themselves don't know how to get to enlightenment for themselves. So how would they be able to guide others? So he encouraged the support of people who are in one of these four stages of enlightenment because by being in either the stream-incher, once-returner, non-returner, or arahant, the four stages of enlightenment, you will then have cultivated a certain amount of wisdom to then be able to help others and guide others on this path. So let me share with you the words of the Buddha, as I often do, so that you don't just believe what I'm sharing here about what the Buddha taught, but you can actually see his own words that it matches exactly to what I just shared. This is titled An Unsurpassed Field of Merit for the World. Monks, these eight persons are worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of reverential salutation, an unsurpassed field of merit for the world.
what ate, the stream enterer, the one practicing for realization of the fruit of stream entry, the once returner, the one practicing for the realization of the fruit of once returning, the non-returner, the one practicing for the realization of the fruit of non-returning, the arahant, the one practicing for the realization of the fruit of arahantship. These eight persons, monks, are worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of reverential salutation, an unsurpassed field of merit for the world. The four practicing the way, the four established in the fruit, this is the upright community, composed in wisdom, in virtuous behavior or moral conduct. For people intent on sacrifice, for living beings seeking merit, making merit that ripens in the acquisitions, what is given to the community bears great fruit. Now let me explain this some more and further help you understand how this works. As you know, with the natural law of gamma of cause and effect or action and result, there's no mystical, magical thing here. There's no superstition that if you make an offering to these people, you're going to magically progress on the path to enlightenment. Instead, what the Buddha is sharing is that by you supporting people who are either in one of the four stages of enlightenment or practicing in order to get to one of those four stages of enlightenment, then you are now coming in contact with people who deeply understand these teachings. Your choice to make this offering of gifts or have hospitality, which is invite people to your home and kind of feed them and give them a place to sleep and things like this, worthy of offerings, things like food, water, clothing, shelter, medical care, things like this, worthy of reverential salutations, which is being respectful in terms of the way that you greet them and spend time with them, the way that you refer to them. What he's sharing is that there's a certain level of wisdom that you're going to need to have in order to figure out if somebody is in one of these four stages of enlightenment. So you're going to have to have cultivated a certain amount of wisdom in order to get to that point. And then if you choose to make offerings to people who are in one of these four stages of enlightenment, that means you're coming into contact with those people. And now you have a chance to ask questions and gain more wisdom in your development of your journey to enlightenment. Whereas if you were just to make offerings to any person or any temple that isn't necessarily practicing the teachings very closely, then your offerings aren't really truly producing the most benefit or the most wholesome gamma, the most merit, because they're not really being guided to the people who are actually deeply practicing the teachings, and you're not coming into contact with people who are deeply practicing the teachings. So the Buddha is explaining to you here that this upright community that are have deep wisdom and virtuous behavior or moral conduct, that's who you would be interested and most interested in making your offerings to so that you can support those individuals as they bring the teachings into the world. He talks about people who are intent on sacrifice, right? Like people who are essentially letting go of the material world, that they're no longer interested in material possessions necessarily, even though they're going to have to have a certain 
material possessions in order to sustain their life. People who aren't in to operating a business and trying to share these teachings. People who aren't, you know, driving around in Mercedes with a Rolex watch and things like this. Because if you're giving offerings to somebody and they're going out and just purchasing a Rolex watch for themselves, that means they're taking in the offerings and just still having their own selfish desires. But if you're making offerings and you're seeing that that person is then turning that around and putting that offering into investing into the community in terms of books and classes and retreats and ways for you to learn, then your offering is being used for the benefit of the community. For example, maybe purchasing a Zoom membership or hosting retreats or buying some simple clothing. Whereas if you're making offerings to someone who's still into their own selfish desires and they're buying a Rolex watch for themselves and Gucci sunglasses and things like this. Not that there's anything wrong with these products, but if there's somebody who's really practicing these teachings closely and are sharing these teachings into the world in a way that's benefiting others, they would be using the offerings of the community to benefit the community, not to just be self-absorbed into their own selfish desires. And people in Thailand know this very well, that there was actually a recent case where there was this ordained practitioner who wasn't practicing what I was just describing. They actually used to fly around in a private jet and they had all these expensive handbags and sunglasses and all these different things. And as the Thai people found out about this, this person actually escaped Thailand and went to America. And this was an ordained practitioner. And he kind of embedded himself into a temple in America. The Thai people were very interested in ensuring that this person didn't continue to function in this way where they were taking in donations from the community and just buying selfish possessions that they could then indulge in their own selfish possessions. So the Thai government actually arrested this person in America. They got an extradition warrant. They extradited him from America to Thailand. He went through the court system. And in the court system in Thailand, they proved that he was taking in these offerings from the community and then purchasing things in terms of his own selfish desires. They sentenced him to 20 years in prison for this. So Thai people take this very seriously because they understand the importance of the teachings of the Buddha. And if there's people functioning in a way that's unwholesome or unwise, then it's going to kind of taint the teachings of the Buddha and people have a difficult time to see the true teachings in this path to enlightenment. So the Buddha taught this during his lifetime and you can see the Thai people today are actually practicing this, that you will find that the temples that are deeply practicing and that have stream enters, once returners, non-returners, and otter hunts, they tend to be very highly supported because those people who are experiencing the benefits of these various stages of enlightenment, they know what that feels like in their mind. They know what it felt like to be angry and sad and sorrowful and have displeasure. And as they're learning and practicing these teachings and training the mind, and the mind gradually moves towards less and less discontentedness, ultimately, once the mind is enlightened, there's no discontentedness whatsoever. People experiencing that through learning and practicing these teachings would be interested to potentially share these teachings. There will be people who get enlightened 
who are business people and politicians and retired people and working in charitable organizations and different things like this. But there's going to be a certain amount of people who learning and practicing these teachings and getting closer and closer to enlightenment, observing the improvement to the condition of the mind where discontentedness is fully eliminated. There are certain people that are going to be interested in sharing those teachings in the world to benefit others. And that's what the Buddha is saying here is that people who are willing to sacrifice this material world and let go of any kind of career and then share these teachings into the world for the benefit of others, the Buddha is saying this is the group of people that you should support with your offerings. And then he says here, making merit that ripens in the acquisitions. The acquisitions are you attaining one of the four stages of enlightenment by you making offerings and producing this merit, coming in close contact with people who are sharing these teachings and who are in one of the four stages of enlightenment. It's going to help you get closer and closer to the acquisitions or to the attainments of the four stages of enlightenment. And then the Buddha just sums it up here where he says, what is given to the community bears great fruit. Because the only way that these teachings are coming to you and that they're reaching you is that over the course of 2,500 years, they've been supported. There's been generosity from the lifetime of the Buddha all the way until now, where people have gradually supported these teachings through time, effort, energy, and resources, and sharing that, that that helps to actually allow the teachings to continue in the world. Now, let's look at another aspect of this to help you see what the Buddha was teaching around generosity. The merit that we're talking about, this is wholesome gamma, but we're calling it merit because it's a specific type of wholesome gamma, and it has generosity or this practice of generosity as part of it. The practice of generosity is helping a practitioner to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, the cause of discontentedness, and the cause of rebirth in the cycle of rebirth. So as you understand through the Four Noble Truths and other teachings that I've taught, that this craving, desire, attachment is what's causing the discontent mind. So we use breathing mindfulness meditation in order to eliminate the craving, desire, attachment in the mind. But as practitioners that are practicing letting go and not holding on to things uh, in selfish ways, we practice generosity with all beings. And specifically here, if you're looking to produce merit, then you practice generosity towards these eight different types of individuals that the Buddha talked about. And this is helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment in the mind, which is going to help you to eliminate discontentedness and continuous rebirth in the cycle of rebirth. It helps you to eliminate this stain of selfishness. These are the words of the Buddha where he talks about this stain of selfishness. Because if you remember as a child, we were taught to share our share our toys and share candy and things like this. But as we get older, we kind of become very selfish and we think that, okay, if I spend five hours working, I should get X number of dollars. And when I get X number of dollars, I'm going to pay X number of dollars and I'm going to get this product that is going to benefit me. But we oftentimes struggle and working and doing things and earning money and then sharing that with others or purchasing food and sharing that with others or purchasing things and sharing that with others. We tend to hold on to things really 
really tightly. So the Buddha encourages people to practice generosity as a way of helping you to let go and not have selfishness and have the selfish desires. So there's breathing mindfulness meditation that he teaches, but he's also teaching generosity to help you train your mind to let go and no longer hold on to things selfishly. As you're practicing generosity, this helps you to develop confidence in the Buddha, the teachings, the community, while you're eliminating this fetter of doubt. So not only is generosity helping you to eliminate the central desire, which is one of the pollutions of mind, one of the fetters that need to be eliminated in order to get to enlightenment, but there's this other fetter as part of the 10 fetters called doubt. And if you have doubt about the Buddha, doubt about his teachings, doubt about the community that you're part of, then you're not going to be able to get to enlightenment. So you'll need to gradually cultivate the mind where you've investigated the teachings so deeply that you have now practiced them and you're seeing the improvement to the condition of the mind. And as you build up this confidence in the Buddha, the teachings, the community, in your teacher, in your own ability to attain enlightenment, then this fetter of doubt starts to gradually get eroded. And in that situation, a practitioner who has eliminated doubt or is working to eliminate doubt by making offerings to the community to support these teachings coming into the world, that is an acknowledgement on your own side that you feel like, yes, I know these teachings are beneficial to the world. I see them benefiting my own mind. I see them helping me to improve the condition of the mind. And while there were people that supported these teachings over the last 2,500 years to get to the point where they're reaching me, now that I see the benefit in these teachings, I would like to support these teachings to come into the world for other people. We have this term nowadays we call pay it forward. So that's what has essentially been happening for 2,500 years is people have been paying it forward. As they learn the teachings and they start seeing them benefiting their life, they appreciate that these teachings have been brought into the world and they're reaching them. And now they would like those teachings to be able to reach other people in the world to benefit others. So by you supporting teachers and ordained practitioners who are bringing these teachings into the world, then not only is it benefiting you because you're having this community of resources and ability to learn, but it's also benefiting other people too, that now others can learn these teachings and benefit their life. And this is how slowly but surely these teachings penetrate more and more into the world. And this is also helping you to eliminate doubt if there's any doubt in the mind about the teachings. Because remember, to eliminate this doubt, it's not blind faith. It's not blind belief that is going to eliminate doubt. It's investigating the teachings, not believing them, but investigating them to learn them. And then you reflect on those teachings, independently verifying them to see that they're true. And then practicing the teachings so that as you practice this Eightfold Path and other teachings, the condition of the mind gradually improves and you see the discontentedness gradually diminishing. And then you'll get to a certain point in your practice where you will have no doubt that in fact the Buddha was surely fully perfectly enlightened. 
His teachings are definitely leading to an improved condition of mind. The community that you're part of is indeed helping you and supporting you and helping you to get to enlightenment. Your teacher is sharing teachings in a way that's deeply helping you. And you will have no doubt about your ability to get to enlightenment because you have seen this gradual improvement to the condition of your mind. So this is something that it gets eroded gradually through your own efforts of investigating the teachings. It's important to understand that merit can't be transferred from one person to the next. This is impossible. As you learned in last week's class, when the Buddha talked about gamma, which merit is just a certain form of gamma, is that gamma is based on your own decisions. He talked about gamma is the air, you are the air, the originator, you have gamma as your resort, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, you are essentially the originator in the person who's experiencing your own gamma. Other people can't produce gamma for you. But nowadays in the world, there are people that think that you can make offerings and then that benefits people that have already died or that benefits other people who lives today. This isn't possible and this isn't what the Buddha taught because the benefit that you're getting from producing merit is you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. That's one really important one. By you making an offering, it's allowing you to eliminate selfishness. By you making an offering to this virtuous community, the eight people that the Buddha talked about, you're coming in contact with them to gain more wisdom. That's helping you. You're gaining the wisdom by producing this merit and coming in contact with these people. And then by you producing merit and making offerings, you're helping these teachings become available for other people as well. That's the only real benefit that's coming to other people through your merit. But if somebody's already died, you can't make an offering to a practitioner, to an ordained practitioner, to a teacher, and then transfer the benefit of that to someone who's already died. It's not possible. But you'll see communities of people that do that. And this is part of the ignorance or the unknowing of true reality or the delusion, the confusion, the misunderstanding that's in the world. There's people who will take this little urn of water and after they make their offering, they will pour this water into a little bowl and they think, they believe that they're transferring the benefits of what they accumulated in terms of merit to other people. But this is because they're not understanding the natural law of gamma. They're not understanding what merit is. They're not understanding that the true benefit of merit is that you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment in your own mind, that you're coming in contact with people, that you can learn the wisdom of the Buddha to improve your life, and that you're making these teachings available for other people. So even though you might go into communities where people are doing these things, it's important for you to understand that the benefits of merit only helps the practitioner who's actually practicing and producing merit, except for the fact that you're helping these teachings to be available for other people. But they then have to learn to choose to do the work to eliminate craving, to cultivate wisdom by coming in contact with teachers and virtuous practitioners. And then if they choose to make offerings to these folks, then they will produce merit that benefits them. It's not that you can transfer this to other people. Here is a teaching from the Buddha where he's talking about 
making an offering. If you're going to make an offering, the Buddha talks about it being purified. And he says that it can be purified by the recipient or it can be uh, purified by the donor. And the idea would be that this offering is purified by both the donor and the recipient. And that ensures that this offering is being made in the best possible way and that it's having the most benefit and producing the most fruit. Here's his words. He says, what are the three factors of the donor to purify this offering? The donor is joyful before giving. And he was talking to a female. So he says, she has a calm, confident mind in the act of giving. And she is joyful after giving. So let me explain what he's sharing here. If you're about to make an offering and your mind is kind of sad or angry or frustrated and you feel like you shouldn't be making this offering, then you shouldn't make that offering. So the Buddha is saying before you make an offering, your mind should already be joyful that, yes, I would like to make this offering. And then while you're making an offering, the mind should be calm and confident feeling that, yes, this is a person, this is a wise decision, I should be making this offering to this person. I'm confident that they're going to do something wholesome and beneficial with this offering. And your mind should be calm because sometimes if you're making an offering to someone who you feel is enlightened or close to enlightened, maybe your mind is shaken up because you're not comfortable to potentially be around this person because you're looking up to them so high because of your own conceit that your mind might not be confident and calm. So you would like the mind to be calm and confident as you're actually making the offering. And then after the offering, the Buddha says that your mind should still be joyful because after the offering, if you're like, oh, I gave too much, I shouldn't have gave that much, that was too much for me to give, then you're having remorse and you haven't really purified the offering because you hadn't given thought about what you're giving and you feel like you've given too much. Or if you've given too little and after the offering, you're like, oh, I gave too little. I should have gave more. I should have put more bananas or I should have given them more clothing or more money or whatever it is that you're offering. If you're having that remorse, then that means you haven't really put thought into the offering that you're giving. So the Buddha's guiding you here to be sure that you've put thought into your offering because just like everything else, if you're craving and desiring to make an offering, then your mind isn't going to be calm and confident. It's not going to be joyful. But if you were indifferent and you didn't care about what you were offering, then your mind's not going to be joyful there either. So you've got to bring this generosity to the middle. When the Buddha talks about making offerings, he talks about before you give an offering, you should make sure you're whole, that you have life's necessities to take care of your life and those people around you before you actually make an offering. So if you're going to make an offering, be sure your mind is joyful, be sure it's calm and confident, and make sure that joy is there before and after giving. And then when you're looking to make an offering to somebody, he says, what are the three factors of the recipients, the person who's to receive your offering? Here, the recipients are free of craving or are practicing to remove craving. So again, if you see that somebody's buying expensive cars and 
watches and clothing and they're just using your offerings for their own sensual pleasures and indulging in becoming rich and a millionaire and building mansions and that's what they're using your offerings for they still have craving so the buddha is sharing you know these aren't people that you should make offerings to instead it should be people who are free of craving or practicing for the removal of craving and you should see that and observe that in their practice they are free of anger or are practicing to remove anger So people that you make offerings to, you shouldn't see anger arising in their mind. They shouldn't be hateful to one group or another. They shouldn't have ill will. They shouldn't even have frustration or irritation or annoyance. Those are just lesser versions of anger. Someone who's practicing the teachings closely will have eliminated craving and they would have eliminated anger. And these are people who are now practicing in such a way that's going to benefit others as they share these teachings in the world. And your offerings are helping them to be able to share these teachings in the world. They are free of ignorance or the unknowing of true reality or are practicing to remove ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. These are the three factors of the recipients. So ignorance or the unknowing of true reality, the opposite of that is wisdom. So if you see somebody that is very wise with the Buddhist teachings and as they share the teachings with you, it's very clear, it's very concise, it's very precise. It's helping you to understand the teachings in a way that's benefiting and helping you and others in the community. Then the Buddha is saying, this is somebody who you should support. So if somebody's eliminated craving, anger, and ignorance, they're enlightened. And the Buddha is saying that this is a person that you should consider supporting if you're going to plan to practice generosity because it's going to help you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, but it's also going to help you gain wisdom to develop your practice by coming in contact with these people. And it's also going to bring these teachings into the world that benefit others as well. So this is how the Buddha describes an offer that is being purified. I'll talk about this next piece after we break for questions, but let me just pause and see what questions you guys might have on anything that I've shared so far. The way that you ask questions is you can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and the moderators will see your comments and be sure your questions get asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Hello, Richard. So is it correct that for one to practice merit or generate merit, they should be rich and wealthy to be able to buy a land and uh, provide money for building a big temple for sharing the teachings? This actually isn't true. When the Buddha talks about making offerings, he actually talked at one point about this enormous offering, this 84,000, you know, things of gold, these 84,000 kilos of silver, these 84,000 meals and things like this. He talked about these enormous wealthy offerings. And then he talked about, you know, the very best thing that you can actually do is practice breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. These are what's going to produce the most benefit for you and the people around you, because as you train your mind to eliminate craving and you train your mind to eliminate anger, which is what breathing mindfulness meditation does and what loving kindness meditation does, as you improve the condition of your mind, it's going to help you and all those around you. So he talks about having 
this practice of breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation is the most beneficial thing you can do. But then he talks about making offerings. He doesn't talk about the significance of the cost or the wealth because let's just say somebody's making a hundred dollars a month if they offered five dollars that's essentially five percent of the money they're making in a particular month where if somebody was making a million dollars a month and they only offered five dollars it's a very small portion of what they're actually making so the buddha never gives an exact percentage of what we should or shouldn't offer it's always up to us because our life is going to change some points in our life, we might be able to offer more money. In other parts of our life, as things shift and we need money for other things, we might be able to offer less. Or we might start out offering less, and then as our life improves and we make more income, we might increase our offerings at different times. Because of impermanence, we might adjust our offerings at different times. But whether you're offering time, effort, energy, or resources, it's up to you. And there's no obligation, there's no expectation, there's no requirement that you make offerings. But as you choose to do so, you shouldn't think of it as you have to be wealthy or rich to be able to make offerings. Because even just sharing a bottle of water with a teacher is helping them to sustain their life or providing them a meal so that they can just eat or providing them a place to sleep. Because the Buddha, remember, he was part of the royal family where he was very rich and very wealthy. And during his lifetime, he stepped out of the royal family, put on rags as robes and walked around with a bowl and just accepted whatever donations were given to him in terms of food and water and clothing and shelter, a place to sleep. And anybody who's deeply practicing these teachings, who has eliminated craving, anger and ignorance, they wouldn't have a requirement of their students to be able to, you know, if you offer this, I will teach you that. If there's a price for learning with a teacher, this person isn't yet enlightened because somebody who's offering these teachings in a way that's benefiting others, they wouldn't set a price or have a menu. They wouldn't base their interest and willingness to help others is if this person's giving me money, I will help them. If they're not giving me money, I won't help them. That isn't the way an enlightened being functions because an enlightened being doesn't have craving, desire, for money and wealth. They're going to need a certain amount of offerings in order to sustain their life and ensure that they have food, water, clothing, shelter, and medical care. But as long as those basic needs are met, an enlightened being should be more than willing to help anybody and everybody who is interested in learning with them. Aside from if somebody was continuously disrespectful, then perhaps the best way to teach that person is to not teach them and show them that their disrespect is going to lead to them not being able to learn. And then at some point, as they potentially start to become more respectful, then maybe gradually teaching them in a more direct way. So there's actually ways to teach people by not teaching them. And that can be a way to actually teach somebody. So you don't have to be rich and wealthy in order to produce merit. You can offer your time, effort, energy, resources. You can also do meditation and things like this in order to help you to develop your own practice. This would be beneficial to the world. So you could be completely poor and lacking money and wealth, but maybe you have a little bit of time to help with something, or maybe you can put a little bit of effort or energy into something, and that would actually help the community.
Well, so if the recipient doesn't have these uh, three factors, what would be a wise decision to choose to not support the work of this uh, teacher? if we consider him or her a teacher. I agree with that because if somebody has extensive amounts of craving, they have extensive amounts of anger, they have ignorance or unknowing a true reality, they haven't yet done the work themselves to be beneficial to others. So if you're supporting someone who has craving, anger, and ignorance, then you're supporting craving, anger, and ignorance. But if you see somebody actively practicing for the removal of craving, anger, and ignorance, maybe they still have some craving, maybe they still have a little bit of anger and ignorance, but you see them diligently working to eliminate these things, then the Buddha is saying, yeah, still support that person because they're diligently working. They're determined to work towards enlightenment. They're just not enlightened yet. So that's why he gives the first, second, third, and fourth stage of enlightenment as people who he suggests that you support through your offerings. Because by you supporting those stages of enlightenment and people in those stages of enlightenment, it's going to help them to continue to progress to enlightenment. And it's going to help the people that they're sharing the teachings with. But if there's somebody who's just starting out and who maybe isn't yet developed in their practice, there's going to be a certain amount of support that those people are going to need, but they're not really firmly practicing in a dedicated way yet. So you would like them to get their practice more dedicated before you start supporting them with your offerings and with your generosity to produce this merit for yourself and for others. Thanks, sir. That's good, Miranda. Yes, sir. Speaking of purifying donation, if one is doing these things, if one is donating with the goal in mind, with the intention of accumulating merit, instead of supporting someone who is deeply practicing these teachings, does that still accumulate merit for that person? Or should the mind purely be focused on supporting the practitioner and just loving kindness and generosity, sir? Sure. Whenever we practice generosity, whether it's with other people or it's teachers in order to produce merit, your generosity should be pure generosity where there's no expectation of anything in return. And that's how you actually practice pure generosity, that you're giving, you're sharing, you're having no expectation of anything in return. You're just willing to offer this help, food, water, clothing, shelter, medical care, or some other way of helping the community. For example, Rick has got supplies from the retreat stored in his house. This is producing merit. He's making this generous offering. He brought these supplies from our retreat to his house and he did the work in order to allow that to happen. So we can do these things in order to practice generosity and produce this merit, but we should do it without any expectation of anything in return. But what you should understand as part of practicing merit, what you're essentially accomplishing is you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. You're also coming in contact with people who are able to teach you and guide you and share wisdom with you. And you're helping to make these teachings available for other people either now and in the future. So there are going to be benefits to practicing merit, but you shouldn't attach your generosity to those benefits. You shouldn't expect these benefits, but just know that that's what's occurring as you practice merit and you practice any kind of generosity. There's going to be benefit that 
you're eliminating craving, desire, attachment, and it's helping people as you make various offerings and you practice generosity. But you shouldn't be practicing generosity because you want something, but you should be practicing it just because you're interested in helping others. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Well, so you mentioned that there is a benefit from practicing merit and generosity. Is the goal in practicing merit and generosity to get a better rebirth in a future life? The Buddha does talk about this as part of his teachings, that if somebody's practicing generosity and they're cultivating merit, it will lead to a better rebirth in the future. But there, he's only explaining to you true reality of what's actually occurring, because the ultimate goal is to not be reborn. The ultimate goal is to practice enough generosity in these other teachings as well that are part of the path to enlightenment, that you get to enlightenment in this life and that you will never experience rebirth. But should you not get to enlightenment in this life, then the generosity that you practice, the merit that you cultivate in this life is going to help you in your next life and it's going to produce an improved rebirth. But that's not the actual goal. So can we say that every one of us have accumulated a lot of wholesome karma by practicing generosity maybe or merit in previous lives so that we in this life got this rebirth in which we got these teachings and we are able to practice them to attain enlightenment. I'm saying that we are gaining the benefits of what we have did or choose to do in the past and previous lives. For some people, yes. For others, no. Right. So in For some people, you might have been generous in a previous life, and that's led part of what's led to your rebirth in the human world. And now you find it fairly easy to be generous in this life. But there's other people who are born into the human world who really struggle with generosity, and we tend to hold on to our resources, and we are very selfish. And that's because we haven't cultivated the wisdom yet of why generosity is so important and we haven't developed it in our practice yet. So if you find it a real struggle to practice generosity, then you should make it a priority to practice generosity in all parts of your life, which is what we're about to talk about here in a moment. But also if you would like to practice generosity in the direction of cultivating merit in order to accomplish the goals that I've shared, which is eliminating craving, which is to cultivate wisdom by coming in contact with people that can share these teachings with you in a way that benefits your practice. And you would like to practice generosity to cultivate merit to ensure that these teachings are available for other people, then practicing generosity towards teachers that are sharing these teachings will help you accomplish those goals. But if you find it a real struggle to practice generosity, you should be practicing generosity in all parts of your life. When you open a bag of potato chips, hey, would you like a chip? Or even just a smile, walking down the street and smiling at somebody. You're practicing generosity. You're taking more time, effort, energy, and resources than is strictly necessary to do something. Or if you have a bottle of water and you'd like to offer it to somebody, these are things that you can be doing to cultivate the willingness for the mind to let go and practice generosity, this giving and sharing with others. Thanks, teacher. No more questions for now. All right. So now that you guys understand what merit is, let's talk about the way of practice. This is essentially the way that a practitioner is practicing on a daily basis. 
The Eightfold Path is giving you the full, complete path to enlightenment. Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. That's showing you what you need to cultivate, how you need to cultivate it, what you need to be doing in terms of developing your practice, this life practice towards enlightenment. But then the Buddha shared what's called the way of practice. This is what a practitioner is doing on a daily basis. If you're not sure about the Eightfold Path entirely yet, you haven't fully penetrated that and understood it. Maybe there's other things that you haven't really fully understood yet. Well, you can always come back to this way of practice as what should I be doing on a daily basis, day in and day out? Of course, you need to be gaining wisdom and cultivating your understanding of the Eightfold Path and bringing that up into your practice more and more and more. But these are three things that the Buddha is explaining that you should be doing on a daily basis as a practitioner to get to enlightenment. He talks about generosity, moral conduct, and meditation. These are the three things that you would be practicing on a regular, ongoing, daily basis. And they're all interlinked with each other. You practice generosity where there's this readiness to take action or frequently giving something more than is strictly necessary, such as your time, effort, energy, financial support, resources, and having no expectation of anything in return for you sharing your generosity with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors. And yes, you can share generosity with teachers who are sharing these teachings in order to produce merit as well if you're interested in directing your generosity towards those people. You should be practicing the giving and helping others as part of this ongoing comprehensive life practice. You're actively developing and cultivating a more caring and compassionate mind by choosing to consistently give and share with others through eliminating your selfishness. And this generosity that you're practicing, whether it's with teachers that are sharing these teachings or other people in your life, it's helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. So this generosity is being practiced on a consistent, ongoing basis, daily, you're actively doing little things or sometimes bigger things to practice generosity. And this is training your mind to now give and share and having no expectation of anything in return. And it's this generosity that is helping you to eliminate the craving desire attachment. If you choose to practice generosity towards teachers who are sharing these teachings, now what you're doing is you're helping to gain the wisdom of how to practice moral conduct and how to practice meditation. Without the generosity of a community to support a teacher, then you're never going to learn the moral conduct and the meditation and all the other teachings that you need in order to cultivate your mind and develop a mind that is enlightened, where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So the generosity that you practice, it's helping you in multiple ways. And one of the ways it's helping you is it provides teachers that can now share these teachings into the world to benefit you. So there's all these different benefits that generosity is almost like a linchpin. It's like the thing that kind of sets everything else into motion. Without generosity, we wouldn't be able to have teachers 
that give up their career or give up other aspects of their life in order to fully dedicate time, effort, energy, and resources into sharing these teachings. So by you practicing generosity towards a teacher, it gives that teacher the ability to then fully develop courses and classes and books and content, have personal guidance sessions, helping individual students as they need help with these teachings. So that generosity is helping that teacher to kind of unplug from needing to have a business or other things like this. And now they can fully devote their time to sharing these teachings into the world. And it's helping you in the ways that I've mentioned. And now with this practice of generosity that sets all these things into motion, that teacher should be sharing with you the moral conduct and you practicing the moral conduct. So by you gaining the wisdom of this virtuous behavior or this moral conduct, now you can have this way of practice of these higher principles for proper conduct. You can learn things like right speech, right action, and right livelihood. And you should be practicing those and getting your practice closer and closer to that on a daily basis as part of this way of practice. So cultivating the five factors of well-spoken speech, practicing right action in terms of not causing harm with your bodily actions, practicing right livelihood and getting closer and closer to a livelihood where you feel fully fulfilled, where you're not just doing something for a paycheck, but you're doing it because you really feel fulfilled in this livelihood. And you're not practicing one of the five wrong livelihoods that the Buddha shares. So practicing the generosity, it leads to improved moral conduct because you're gaining this wisdom of how to now improve your conduct. And now your personal professional relationships blossom because now instead of being impolite, unkind, unfriendly, and disrespectful in your relationships, you're learning how to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. And the more that you do that, your personal and professional relationships will blossom and you'll experience an improved results in your life based on your decision to practice generosity, based on your decision to gain the wisdom of moral conduct and actually practice moral conduct. And then practicing meditation. This is part of your way of practice. And that's what a teacher is doing for you is sharing the guidance of how to practice meditation. Meditation is a technique to actively train the mind during dedicated, independent, purposeful training sessions to eliminate and or cultivate various qualities of the mind in the positions of seated, lying, standing, or walking. This is what we I teach as part of this group learning program and the retreats and the classes and courses that I teach. In fact, next week, we're going to be in chapter 11, which is titled Meditation, Developing Your Practice. You would need to have a consistent, ongoing, regular meditation practice in order to get to enlightenment. So this is your way of practice, is actively training the mind in a dedicated, independent, purposeful training session to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate certain wholesome qualities. So on a daily basis, if you're practicing generosity, moral conduct, and meditation, directing some of that generosity towards virtuous practitioners who are sharing these teachings into the world, then you're gaining more and more understanding of the moral conduct and the meditation to help you on a daily consistent basis. 
So this is how you would practice on a consistent, ongoing basis in order to develop your practice closer and closer to eliminating the pollutions of mind, of craving, anger, and ignorance, and getting to this enlightened mental state. It's the Eightfold Path that is explaining to you how to do that, but these are the three activities that you're doing on a consistent, ongoing basis, a daily basis, or a way of practice. Some additional words from the Buddha around generosity and practicing generosity. There's an entire book in this book series devoted to generosity. It's volume 13. That's how important generosity is to your practice, that the Buddha spoke extensively about generosity and understanding how to practice generosity. And here's some of his words around it. And what is accomplishment in generosity? Here, a noble disciple, this is someone who's deeply practicing the Buddhist teachings, resides at home with a mind free from the stain of selfishness, freely generous, open-handed, joyful in letting go, devoted to charity, joyful in giving and sharing. This is called accomplishment and generosity. So if you find yourself getting to the point where you feel like you're open-handed, you would share your food, you would share resources, you would help people as you need help, and you feel joy in giving and sharing, that you're joyful as you're doing that, then the Buddha is saying, okay, you're developing this accomplishment and generosity. Here are some other words from the Buddha around giving and sharing. If beings knew the results of giving and sharing, this is the title, monks, If beings knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, nor would the stain of selfishness obsess them and take root in their minds. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared it, if there were someone to share it with. But because beings do not know, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they eat without having given, and the stain of selfishness obsesses them and takes root in their minds. So what the Buddha is talking about here, and he talks about this in other parts of his teachings, he talks about the primary thing that led to his enlightenment is, of course, breathing mindfulness meditation, But in terms of his practice and his daily practice, he talks about the primary thing that led to his enlightenment is the practice of generosity. He talks about generosity as being the primary thing that allowed him to become a Buddha in that very last life. He talks about looking back over his past lives and how generous he was in these past lives and how he practiced generosity in all of those previous lives. And in this last life, He also practiced a lot of generosity to share these teachings. And that's what ultimately led to the elimination of craving, desire, attachment, which led to the elimination of discontentedness, which led to the enlightened mind, which led to him not being reborn in the cycle of rebirth. So he's saying, if beings knew as I know the results of giving and sharing. So if other beings knew how enlightenment felt, if they understood the peacefulness, the calmness, the serenity, the contentedness, and the joy that is just always there in the enlightened mind, if you knew what that felt like, 
you would not eat without having given. You would be more than willing to practice generosity if you knew that it was going to lead to this enlightened mental state and what that enlightened mental state feels like and what the experience is going to be like. Nor would the stain of selfishness obsess them and take root in their minds. Even if it was their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared it if there was someone to share it with if you knew the results of giving and sharing. So right now, if you tend to be less generous and you kind of hold on to things really tightly, what the Buddha is encouraging you to do, and I'm encouraging you to do, is to practice generosity towards all beings. But again, you've got to find that middle. If you're out there you know, giving, 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 and you don't have food to eat, that's not going to produce joy and peacefulness in the mind. But also, if you never were practicing generosity with others, that's not going to produce this joyful mental state, this peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So you need to find that middle where you're able to give and share throughout your day, practicing generosity. And this is going to help you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment so that you can experience the results of this enlightened mind, along with practicing all the other teachings that the Buddha shares. Here, the Buddha is explaining the five benefits of giving. Monks, there are these five benefits of giving. What five? One is dear and agreeable to many. What this means is you'll have lots of friends, lots of people that are willing to be around you if you're generous. Not that you're looking to be generous because you want people to come around you and you're cultivating people to be around you because they expect you to be generous. But as you're generous with your time, effort, energy, and resources, people will look at you in agreeable ways and you'll cultivate a wholesome reputation. And people will just know that in your office or in your workplace or in your neighborhood, you tend to be very generous and people will look upon you in a favorable way. Wholesome persons go in large numbers to one or to you. So if you practice generosity, you will find that wholesome people will be attracted towards you. One acquires a wholesome reputation. That's what I was just sharing as well, that you cultivate this reputation of being generous and people appreciate that generosity. But again, you've got to find the middle way with how to practice that. One is not deficient in householders' duties. So in the household life, in living the household life, if you're interested in getting to enlightenment and practicing the path to enlightenment, you would need to, of course, practice generosity, moral conduct, and meditation. And you would need teachers and guides around you in order to bring these teachings into your life. So there's certain kind of duties that we practice as a householder. And by giving and sharing, not only are you practicing to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, and cultivate this wisdom, but you're supporting this group of teachers that can now bring these teachings into the community and help you in your life. And then this last one, the Buddha says, with the breakup of the body after death, one is reborn in a good destination, in a heavenly world. This is what Bassam was asking about. That's not the ultimate goal of what you're trying to accomplish. You're ultimately trying to get to enlightenment so that you aren't experiencing rebirth. But should you need to experience rebirth, having practiced generosity in this life, then there's a potential for you to experience this better destination 
in the heavenly world. You can't just practice generosity and then be hateful and harmful and harsh and aggressive and killing and stealing and having sexual misconduct, lying, taking substances that cause heedlessness. And just because you practice generosity, you're going to get to a better destination in a heavenly world. That's not how this works at all. Generosity is just one component of your overall practice that's leading to a better destination and a better rebirth, potentially in a heavenly world. But again, the goal is not that because that heavenly rebirth is not permanent. If you're reborn in heaven, you still haven't attained enlightenment yet and you still need to get to enlightenment. It's just that you're in another realm and you can easily be reborn out of that heavenly realm into any of the other realms of existence like hell, animal, the afflicted spirits are human. So you're not aspiring to be reborn in the heavenly world. You're aspiring to learn and practice enough in this life so that you get to enlightenment in this life. But should you fall short of that, then there's the potential that with your generosity and other improvements in your practice, that you could have an improved rebirth either as a human or in the heavenly world. The Buddha says these are the five benefits of giving. By giving, one becomes dear. One follows the duty of the wholesome. The wholesome mentally disciplined monks go in large numbers towards one. So if you're practicing generosity, then people who are sharing these teachings, they're going to, you're going to be around them, essentially. They're going to be around you. Where if you're not practicing generosity and you're just off being selfish and not really coming in contact with people that you can practice generosity with in terms of developing merit, then you're not going to have the ability to cultivate this wisdom and improve your practice. They teach one the teachings that dispels all discontentedness, having understood which the taintless one here attains nibbana or enlightenment. So that's what he's sharing is that by you practicing generosity, then there's going to be wholesome practitioners and teachers and people with deep wisdom that can share these teachings with you to help you eliminate discontentedness from your own mind. And that's going to ultimately help you get to enlightenment. And now this last teaching from the Buddha, and I'll open up to any questions that you guys have around merit or producing wholesome karma or anything else that you guys would like to ask questions about. The Buddha talks about gifts of teachings is superior than gifts of material things. So monks, there are these two kinds of gifts, a gift of material things and a gift of the teachings. Of these two kinds of gifts, this is supreme a gift of the teachings. There are these two kinds of sharing, sharings of material things and sharings of the teachings. Of these two kinds of sharing, this is supreme, sharing of the teachings. There are these two kinds of assistance, assistance with material things and assistance with the teachings. Of these two kinds of assistance, this is supreme, assistance with the teachings because it's the teachings that are gonna to lead to the elimination of discontentedness. It's not a chocolate bar, it's not more money, it's not a Rolex watch, it's not a Mercedes. Not that we're not gonna have these things in our life, but the Buddha is saying the thing that's of highest priority and that's supreme is the teachings. So someone who's offering these teachings to you, they're giving you the gift of the teachings. 
They're sharing the teachings. They're assisting you with the teachings. This is the biggest, most important gift that anybody could ever give to you is to share these teachings in such a way that they have no expectations of you and they're just willing to share these teachings without reservation and without expectations. They're not requiring you to do anything specific. They're just sharing these teachings with anybody and everybody who chooses to learn and practice. So they're sharing these teachings and practicing generosity. And then if you choose to support those people with your generosity, now it's helping you and lots of other people in the world to gain this understanding of the teachings and now help all of humanity to eliminate discontentedness. So the Buddha is prioritizing the sharing of these teachings as the highest gift, the highest sharing, and the highest assistance that anyone could actually be giving to the world as part of their practice of generosity. So let me see what questions you guys have. This is everything that I was going to share with you. You can ask questions about merit or wholesome gamma or meditation, anything that you'd really like to ask questions about. But if we can have questions around merit and gamma first, we can address those and then open up to any questions that you guys have about any aspect of your practice. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. And our moderators will see that or you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions in zoom that you like well i was wondering is it right is it correct to think of uh, practicing merit as a way of practicing loving kindness for those who will be reborn in the future absolutely this is loving kindness and compassion and also if you're going to be reborn in the future right you would like to make sure these teachings are available for you so loving kindness is this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well having this active goodwill compassion is the concern for the misfortune of others Oftentimes when people first start learning these teachings and they start having these breakthroughs and they realize how true they are and how it truly is helping them to eliminate discontentedness, one of the first things people are interested to do, or they might even have craving to do it, is to run out and share these teachings with everyone else. But you're not necessarily prepared to do that because you're still working on developing your practice yourself. So one of the ways that you can ensure these teachings are available for others is to practice merit and cultivating merit. Practice this generosity towards teachers that can share these teachings with others. And this is a way for you to have loving kindness and compassion for all beings and ensuring that these teachings are available for others. Well, let's go to Miranda. So if I'm understanding this correctly, or if this is being understood correctly, when one has an understanding of the teachings and with a calm, content mind, seeing the benefit in sharing even just that sprinkling that you've spoken about of the teachings with another person, is that also accumulating merit, sir? There's two different things. There's generosity, which is just the giving and sharing more than strictly as necessary with anybody and everybody. That's generosity. And anybody who gets to enlightenment, they would need to have cultivated a certain amount of generosity in the mind with all beings and giving and sharing and being willing to do that. Then there's this unique type of generosity that we call merit, right? Merit is sharing resources or time, effort, energy, and resources with people who are sharing these teachings as teachers. This is what we call merit. 
Merit is generosity, but it's a unique type of generosity. Merit is going to produce wholesome gamma, but it's a unique type of wholesome gamma, so we call it merit. But generosity by itself with all individuals, that's a practice of generosity, and it's a wise decision that's going to produce wholesome gamma. So all these things are actually pointing to the same thing. So generosity, if we had a flow chart, generosity is in the middle. And then coming off of that is merit, which is a specific type of generosity, and that produces wholesome results or wholesome gamma. Then there's generosity, which produces wholesome gamma in terms of eliminating craving, desire, attachment, and all these other things. So it's all kind of converging into wholesome gamma or wholesome results. It's all stemming from generosity. It's all ending with wholesome gamma. It's just a matter of, are we directing it towards all people, which we just call generosity, or are we directing it towards ordained practitioners and teachers who are sharing these teachings? In that case, we call it merit. Okay, I see the difference there now, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. And one other thing there, Miranda, is the difference between merit and pure generosity is pure generosity. It's helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, and it's benefiting others, right? But merit, not only is it helping you to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, but you're directly helping to support the teachings of the Buddha in the world for the benefit of other beings so that these teachings continue in the world. So your generosity isn't going to necessarily accomplish that part of it. So you kind of practice this way of practice where you have generosity towards your friends, your family, your coworkers. You're always practicing generosity with all those people on a continuous ongoing basis. But you also kind of have a certain amount of generosity that you practice in time, effort, energy and resources towards ensuring that these teachings continue in the world by helping people who are sharing these teachings in the world. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. And then also there was a question just about generosity, not really merit. If one plans on or agrees to do something with the intent of doing it for free without having any expectation of anything in return, and then the person that you are being generous towards when they insist, if they insist on giving you something in return, does that still count as generosity because I'll just say my intent was to do this with no expectation of anything given in return. And then also we should still accept what they offer us because that's them practicing generosity on their end. Is that correct, sir? Exactly. This just happened to me last week. When you guys left the retreat, you know, I stayed at that hotel for a few more days. And on July 4th, when there was fireworks, they opened up the upstairs breakfast room so that we could watch the fireworks from the nice view of that hotel. So when I went up there, I knew there would be other people up there. So I brought pizza with me and I brought breadsticks and I kind of offered this pizza to the people that were up there because I figured like, oh, this is a great way to share with people and I'll bring some pizza and we can all watch the fireworks together. 
Well, when people started coming in and they realized that I had offered this pizza, they were like, oh, that was so kind of you. I would like to give you some money. And I was like, oh, you don't have to. You know, I don't have any expectation of that. I just offered this for all of you guys. This is um, for you. And they're like, but what if we want to give money? And I was like, well, that's up to you. You're welcome to give the money if you like. So I noticed that when I walked away that people were taking some pizza and putting a little bit of money under the pizza box. So what I chose to do is I came back and I collected up the money and I gave it to Bailan because I wasn't interested in the money. So I still needed to accept their gift because they're practicing generosity, but my intention was pure. So there are two different decisions. There's the decision to make the offering of the pizza and I had no expectations of that. And here's the pizza. But then they turned around and offered generosity back. And then that's a second decision where now I need to accept that generosity. But now that I've accepted their generosity, I can then give it to somebody else. I could give it to a homeless shelter. I could have given it to a domestic violence abuse center. But it was only $6. So Byline was there and I hadn't been buying him very much throughout the trip. And he was interested in buying some things. So I gave him the $6 and I said, here, this is for you. And the people saw me do it and they were like, oh, that's great. So in situations like that, yes, you still accept their generosity, but whether you take it and keep it for yourself or you give it to somebody else is up to you because now you can choose to give it to somebody else if you like. But you've at least accepted that generosity and you didn't shut that down because part of that second precept that the Buddha talks about is accepting what is given. So in that situation, even though I gave pizza to people, I still needed to accept their offering and their generosity of money. But then what I chose to do with that is up to me because they offered it to me. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Well, are there any other ways to support the sharing of these teachings and the teachers who are sharing these teachings and even the community other than donating money? I mean, this is the only way to support these teachings. <clears throat> That's not the only way, you know, not everybody has money to give. There's that's why I always share time, effort, energy and resources. So there's plenty of people that learn with me that never give any financial support. And that's completely fine. I'm pleased to help anybody and everybody. But it's the people who do give financial support that actually allows me to help others who aren't able to afford any kind of financial support. But in that situation, people could still offer their time, their effort, their energy, helping out with different things like Early on, Bossum, you proofread these books, the 13 books. You know, that was your time, effort, and energy to proofread these books. People have looked up the references for the books and dedicated their time, effort, energy, and resources to looking up the references. And that took a certain amount of time and effort to do that. And now, by us all practicing generosity in this way, we now have this great book series that is available for anybody who's interested to learn with it and they can get it for free because I didn't have to go out and hire a bunch of people to look up these references and now I need to recoup that cost 
Instead, by people offering their time, effort, energy, and resources to proofread and look up references, I can offer these books completely free and at no cost. And then even before we had these books, there were people before us that had gone through the polycanon and extracted the different chapters and assembled them into a book series before us, the Buddha Wajana book series. And that was kind of their contribution to the community. And then we picked it up from there and took it even further. And now we have these books available. So there's multiple ways to help. I mean, even if somebody was interested in moderating classes, that's producing merit and having generosity. If somebody was interested in editing a podcast, maybe once a month or twice a month or three times a month or whatever, they asked me to send them the audio of the podcast and they would like to edit that. And maybe they don't have money to support, but they have some time that they would like to devote to helping the community because all of these things, by all of us practicing generosity, it directly contributes to the resources that we have within our community that benefits all of us, but it also benefits all those people that are yet to come as well. Well, so if I'm interested to assist in editing these uh, classes, one or two classes every month, not on a regular basis, I mean, not every week, will you accept this? Yes, I accept every offering that someone makes of me, unless, of course, it was like cocaine or LSD or or something (laughs) like this. But nobody's ever offered anything like that to me before. So anytime somebody makes an offering, you know, a lot of times what I do is like people will contact me privately and they'll say, you know, because I can't ask you, I can't say, you know, Miranda, will you edit this podcast for me? This would be my expectation. This would be not proper for me to put that burden on a student and asking them to do something. But if a student says to me, David, if there's ever anything that you need help with, just let me know. I'd be willing to help you. And here are some ways that I think I might be able to help. Or maybe they don't know how they can help. They might just say, David, if there's ever anything that you need help with, just let me know. And I'll be willing to consider helping you with that. So typically what I do in those situations is I'll think about it for a few weeks of how this person might be able to help. And then I'll reach back out to them and I'll say, hey, um, you mentioned that you would be interested in helping. You know, is that something that you're still interested in doing? They'll say, yeah, sure. And I'll say, you know, how much time do you have right now? You know, do you have skills in this area or that area? You know, here's a project, here's something that we need help with. And if you're willing to do that, then great. And if they can't do it, maybe things have changed in their life and they can't do it, that's fine too. But that's the way to actually get help and offer your generosity is that you offer it to your teacher because your teacher is not going to ask you. I didn't ask Bossum to proofread the books. I didn't ask Miranda to do these references. People offered their help. And then when they offered their help, I suggested, hey, here's an area that you could help. And then ultimately, it's up to that person to choose if they can and how that all happens and stuff. That's the way that you ensure that you're practicing generosity to make the offering and your teacher isn't asking or requiring you to do something for them. 
So you can still offer your time, effort, energy, and resources. You can just offer it. Like some people send donations on a regular basis in terms of financial support, but also there's people who are helping this community with their time, effort, and energy by doing things like I've mentioned, you know, the things that you see being created for this community are based on the generosity of the people in the community. And that creates more opportunity for people to learn and grow. Well, I know that some members of the community are planning for next year retreat in the U.S. Joining this team and helping in planning this retreat is also a kind of practicing merit. Yes, it's generosity because you're sharing your time, effort, energy and resources and you're directing it towards the continuation of the teaching. So if you're planning a retreat or you've made a donation for the retreat so that it can host the retreat in a particular place, whether you attend the retreat or not, and you're still contributing to the creation of this retreat or moderation or any of the different things like this that we're doing, this is producing merit because you're giving and sharing more than is strictly required because there is no requirement. So any amount of time, effort, energy, and resources that you're sharing to produce some type of continuation of the Buddhist teachings in the world, like a retreat or things like that, that's helping you to develop merit and it's producing wholesome gamma that these teachings are available in the world. So you can do those kind of things and that will surely help the continuation of these teachings in the world. Yeah, now it's more clear for sure. Well, so when it comes to some of the Gautama Buddha's teachings, including the one you shared in today's class, I observed that most likely he put himself at the last. So one of today's uh, teachings that you shared with us, uh, he mentioned the stream enterer, then the ones returner, then the non-returner. Lastly, uh, at the end, he mentioned the arahants. In other teachings, also he puts himself at the end. Is there a wisdom in doing this? So the teaching that I shared today, he's not sharing to necessarily practice generosity towards a stream enterer first a once returner, you know, he's not doing it that way. He's just saying these are the eight people that you should consider practicing generosity towards in addition to other people, of course, in order to produce merit. But there's other parts of his teachings that I didn't share in today's class that are part of this book series that he shares that when you're ready to make offerings to the community, when you're ready to make offerings to those eight people and produce this merit, that you should first ensure that you're whole, meaning that you have the necessities for life, that you have food, water, clothing, shelter, medical care for yourself first, because you need that, right? But not in excess, but you just have what you need in order to sustain your life. And then once you have that, you should make sure the people around you, like your mom, your dad, your brothers and sisters, not that you need to give them money all the time, but you should just ensure that people are taking care of. And he even talks about your employees that are their whole as well. Because if these people around you and yourself, you're not whole, you're not going to be able to sustain yourself in the world. And then ultimately, he finally gets to himself and he says, okay, once all these different people are whole and you're confident and secure knowing that these people are taken care of, then if you'd like to make offerings to this noble community, one of those eight people then that's where you can make offerings. So he's basically 
basically talking about the middle way and having this balance that you're not just giving everything away to everybody else and you're not whole or that you're also not indifferent and just being completely indulged in your own selfish desires, but instead you're finding this middle way in terms of the way that you practice. And he puts himself as last. And he says in other parts, not in any of the teachings I shared today, but in other parts of his teachings, he says, okay, once all these people are essentially satisfied or whole with the basic necessities of life, then that's where you can make offerings to people in the noble community. We should be grateful for all those who practiced generosity and merit throughout the 2,500 years ago. (laughs) Yes, you know, if it wasn't for all that generosity, we wouldn't have the teachings here today. And the reason why people practice generosity towards the continuation of the sharing of the Buddhist teachings is they know that they work, right? They don't have doubt about the teachings. They've eliminated their doubt and they just know with 100% certainty, these are the teachings that are going to lead to an improved condition of mind for yourself, even if you haven't attained enlightenment yet. And this is what's going to lead to the improvement of the entire world. You know, oftentimes, There's people who are very interested in helping the world and see the world become a a better place, but we lack the wisdom of how to actually do that. Well, it's the Buddhist teachings that are going to do that. And if you think that you have it all figured out and it's your wisdom that's going to help this world and you need to change the world, then there's still conceit, there's still arrogance there because if you're unenlightened, you don't yet know what it's going to take to improve the condition of your own mind and actually help the world through these teachings. So by you eliminating your doubt and you recognize like, oh my goodness, this guy was surely a fully perfectly enlightened Buddha because look what he did during the course of his life. And afterwards, his teachings are still helping countless people and they're helping me too. So Rather than me trying to go out and change the world and try to force other people to do things my way, let me just help these teachings to reach more and more people through practicing generosity and producing this merit. And by more and more people learning the teachings and choosing to do that, that's what's ultimately going to help the world. Not anything about you going out and forcing others to change. That's not how we improve the world. The way that we improve the world is by making these teachings available to the widest audience possible without any expectations of anything in return, not having a price associated with learning these teachings by making them available openly and freely to anybody and anybody. So your generous offerings are helping to do that, whether it's time, effort, energy, or resources, they're helping to make these teachings available to others. And now people on their own can choose to step forward and actually learn. That's the only way that these teachings work is that when people choose to step forward. But if we didn't practice generosity to make them available, then there wouldn't be the ability for people to actually step forward to learn them. The teachings would just die. But because over the 2,500 years, people have practiced generosity to support the teachings in the world, now they are available for people to learn and practice and get the benefit of them. Well, that's all the questions for today. And uh, really, thank you, teacher, for uh, dedicating your time, effort, and energy for sharing these teachings online in Thailand, in America, and soon in Egypt. Thank you, teacher. Yes, you're welcome. So very pleased to share with all of you guys. And if you would like to help with anything, you're more than welcome to ask. I'm not going to ask you for help. But when students ask me how to help, you know, there's ways that you can provide your 
time, effort, energy, and resources to help the work that we're doing here. So anybody that has done that in the past or is considering doing that in the future, I would like to thank all of you for your generous offerings because without your offerings, I wouldn't be able to do the things that I do. I wouldn't have been able to give up my career and my businesses and all the things that I've given up in order to be able to share these teachings with you. So I appreciate the support that you're giving me to be able to offer these teachings in the world. And then your generous offerings is coming right back to you in terms of being able to have a person who's highly dedicated and determined to share these teachings with you through courses and retreats and personal guidance and books and videos and resources to help you. So it's your generosity that's helping to allow all these teachings to come into the world in this way. So thank you for all your support and your generosity to this point. I highly appreciate everything that you guys do to ensure this community continue to flourish and grow. Next week in our Sunday class, we're going to be in chapter 11, which is titled Meditation, Developing Your Practice. I'm going to go through in a very detailed sense all the different aspects of meditation. I've done a little bit of that with breathing mindfulness meditation, a little bit of that a loving kindness meditation. But next week, we're going to go through it very thoroughly. And out of all the chapters in the book, that's one of the longest chapters. It takes me even about an hour or so to read through that chapter. Chapter. So you'd like to break that chapter up, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, read it little by little so that by the time we get to next Sunday, you will have read that and come to class with any questions that you might have so that you can get help to develop your meditation practice. Because as you see today, it's vitally important that you have a consistent ongoing meditation practice to actively train the mind towards meditation. This Wednesday, Miranda will be doing a class on loving kindness meditation. She's going to be guiding you in Zoom in a loving kindness meditation session. We're not going to be live streaming that class because I'm traveling and we have other people teaching, but we at least have Zoom available. So if you come into Zoom, you'll be able to learn with Miranda and be guided in loving kindness meditation. So thank you all for your consistent learning and growth and development as you learn and practice these teachings it's helping you it's helping all those close to you and all of humanity so thank you all for your dedication and your diligence i'll see you in a future class have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day sawadee thank you for listening to this podcast to provide support for this podcast visit patreon.com forward slash support buddha To access more teachings, visit BuddhaDailyWisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.